Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 60 with Matthew Jennings. You know, unfortunately, our industry has been built on these like top 20 lists and the awards and the accolades and who's going to get the cover of the next food and wine and who's going to get this and who's going to get the feature article and who's going to get the TV show. And, you know, I think while there's value in some of that stuff, it definitely, it definitely, um, you know, warps kind of the perspective of perhaps what you, what your real goals should be. Right. And for me, I mean, like that was the case. And, and I think, and I think it also really, it was a culmination of like the realization of that at the same time as like, it was like all these colliding factors. It was that. And then it was like my family, right. And my family certainly being very vocal about like, wait a minute, this is actually like not cool that you're working 80 hours a week. You know, I'll tell you what, looking on this side at restaurants as of September 2020, uh, I'm not jealous of much. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On today's show, I have Matthew Jennings. He is a chef, consultant, and VP of culinary at Healthy Living Market and Cafe in Vermont. He is also the founder of Full Heart Hospitality, which he runs with Jason Rose. Previously, Matt was the chef and owner of Farmstead Restaurant and Cheese Shop in Providence, Rhode Island, before moving to Boston and opening Townsman Restaurant. He's the author of the 2017 cookbook Homegrown and has been nominated for a number of James Beard Awards. Our conversation revolves around his decision to leave his restaurant and move into consulting and his new role at Healthy Living Market. You can also get a little bit of info on his next project, Red Barn Kitchen, which he'll be starting with his wife, Kate. I'm really glad I was able to have Matt on the show. He's someone I've known for a number of years. I've had so many great meals at Farmstead in Providence, and I'm a big fan of his cookbook. Uh, but also, he's just so inspiring. You know, he's recently lost 200 pounds. Uh, weight is something that I've struggled with. Um, and he's become something of an advocate for living a healthy lifestyle while working in the food business. So it was great to sit down and, and talk to Matt, and I really hope everyone enjoys the show. Let me know what you think, and have a great day. All right, welcome everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On today's show, I have Matthew Jennings. He's a chef, consultant, and VP of culinary at Healthy Living Market and Cafe. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here, Chris. Good to, good to see you again. I'm so glad I could get you on the show. Yeah. I usually start by getting into everyone's backstory. I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know who you are, who you are but for those who don't, I'm going to kind of give a quick synopsis and just let you kind of make any adjustments there. So, you know, I would say most of our listeners know you as being a chef. You were the chef and owner of Farmstead Restaurant and Cheese Shop in Providence, Rhode Island before opening Townsman in Boston. And then you released the cookbook Homegrown in what, 2017? Yep. Um, and then, you, you know, you've been nominated for a number of James Beard Awards and won Koshan 555, I think like four times and seemingly a chef at the top of his game. And then you closed your restaurant, uh, Townsman, a little over two years ago. And then last year traded Boston for Vermont. So is that kind of bring everyone up to speed? 
That is a good synopsis, I would say, yes. Yeah, so I guess where does it make sense to jump in with your story? Maybe the decisions leading up to leaving the restaurant and moving. Um, what do you think? Yeah, sure, sure. So let's see, um, to, to dig, dig in a little bit. Um, we've now been in Vermont here for a year. Um, so it was a year in July. Um, and I, I guess I would just kind of say that it's been a long time coming. Um, my wife is from here originally. And we, you know, I went to college here. I went to the New England Culinary Institute um, back in the 90s. I'm dating myself now. Um, back in the 90s. And, um, you know, I loved it back then and always kind of had a great appreciation for the Vermont food ecosystem and, uh, you know, had a lot of kind of experienced a lot of firsts here in my food world, you know, my food kind of my food, uh, you know, path, if you will. Um, set of experiences. And so I had a kind of a connection here. Um, and then uh, I ended up um, spending, you know, some time here, obviously, with my wife being from here, um, and uh, lived in Stowe for a while. Uh, and so it was just kind of always, you know, a place that we loved. And, and so eventually, with uh, the way things, you know, kind of happened with uh, Townsmen and, and, you know, our decisions to leave the city. Uh, we felt like we were freed up and, and uh, had the chance to come here. Um, and so uh, here we are. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place and ton of incredible food and just feel, uh, feel blessed every day, particularly given the certain, you know, current uh, climate of the world to be in such a amazing spot. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, being from Massachusetts, I follow the Boston scene pretty closely. And I mean, it's like all major cities, but right now it's such a a big hot mess of things. And I can't imagine having a big restaurant in Boston or any major city right now. It's it's so tough. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been an eye-opening year uh, for everyone, I know, um, but particularly for the hospitality industry, as so many people that listen to your podcast are very aware. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, my, my kind of decisions precluded, you know, obviously any COVID uh, that was coming down the pike. Um, my decisions were more based around my own personal health, uh, which was not good at the time. Um, and, you know, other extenuating challenging circumstances with the restaurant and honestly, like, just trying to be a dad, right? Trying to be a good dad, be a good husband, uh, kind of, um, you know, my, my priority list changed. And uh, I knew that I needed to focus on myself and my family and my well-being and the well-being and health of my family. And so uh, after having that revelation, it just kind of drove me to say, you know, what am I chasing? Um, and uh, what, do I, what do I need to be chasing? And maybe I should be chasing quality of life instead of uh, accolades and uh, quote unquote success, right? Um, and so it just kind of changed my whole entire outlook. And I started putting things in place to make those, make those changes. Um, and some were easy and some were not. But uh, I'll tell you kind of, you know, retroactively now looking back um, and, uh, you know, I'm literally watching uh, right now the chickens outside my window uh, run around and uh, I'm feeling pretty, pretty damn blessed. 
So you've lost a lot of weight, like 200 pounds. Is that about right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I got to a point in 2016 where I was, uh, about 405 pounds, um, drinking a lot, you know, um, falling down the kind of like, you know, just, uh, you know, chef lifestyle, right? Like, um, stereotypical situation of just too many late nights, too many bad decisions, um, you know, all that sort of stuff, uh, drinking drugs. Um, I had some major anxiety disorders. I, um, I had, you know, I was in the hospital for a little while. I just wasn't well. Um, and so, you know, I had some coming to God moments and, uh, one of them was, uh, was actually in New York City. I was going down to uh, do a taping of CBS this morning. And I left the restaurant at about 2 a.m. after closing up. Got home, uh, crashed for a couple hours, woke up to get a 6 a.m. train out of South Station, threw a bunch of clothes in a bag, and went down and jumped on the train. Um, got to Manhattan in my hotel and opened my suitcase and realized that I had only packed socks and underwear, but no clothes, just because I was so exhausted and out of it. Um, and I remember running around Manhattan, having to kind of go on CBS in a couple hours and having no clothes and having a panic attack and crying because I couldn't just walk into any store and buy clothes, right? Because I was huge. Um, and I remember that just kind of feeling of anxiety and, uh, and uh, I decided kind of at that time, it was, it was time to change my life. Um, and I remember coming back on the train after that and uh, seeing my wife and saying, all right, today it starts. I don't know what that means, but you know, I'm gonna get my health back and we're gonna change our lives. And I'm gonna you know, kind of put restaurant career on hold to figure out how I can be better to myself and better to you and better to the kids. Yeah, it it sometimes takes one of those moments. I'm actually right now trying to be a lot healthier and I'm down 25 pounds this summer. Um, and it's been, wow, re thank you. It's been really hard. But, you know, similarly, I was in the 280s, but this uh, past spring, we went to Disney for vacation and we went to Universal and, you know, I got on the line for the Harry Potter ride with my family and we waited God longer than I want to talk about. And I get all the way down there and I could not fit in the damn ride. Like, we sat down and they pulled that lap bar down and I could not buckle in and they needed to stop that thing and kick me off. Like that kind of oh. shit. Like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons before that should have been the change, but like you're yeah. enjoying this moment with your family and you're like, wow, I am too fat to ride this damn ride that I've been waiting in yeah. two hours for line, you know, yeah. and just things like that. You're like, this isn't working for me. Like, something needs to change. So, you know, for me, it's, 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 you know, I'm walking and running at least five miles a day. It's counting calories. It's like doing all that stuff, but you know, it's been a hump, but I'm, I'm dedicated to making it work this time. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's amazing. I, I'll never forget the first time I had to ask for a seatbelt extender on an airplane. And like, I totally justified it to myself, right? Like, Oh, not all airplane seatbelts are the same length and like maybe this one's just short and like blah blah you know like you do those things to yourself and you kind of convince yourself that like you're okay and then you just have at some point like you know some gutter moments where you're like wait a minute this is not okay and I think for me it was particularly because I was watching it affect like the relationships around me you know like my marriage was you know, challenge, uh, my, you know, fatherhood was a challenge, like, 
you know, all those things. And when your kids start, I don't know if like, you know, anybody out there listening has children, but like when your kids start calling you out, that's, that's when the shit gets real, you know? And like any parent, any parent, I don't care who you are, like you are, you know, completely desensitized if you don't feel something when your kids call you out on not being healthy or not getting enough FaceTime with them or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you know, so, so yeah, it was just, it was time to downshift, man. And, and, you know, it is what it is. Like I, you know, I ruined some relationships, right. Because of that decision for sure. Um, but, uh, I knew that I had to take control of my life. So it was kind of, uh, you know, live and live healthily and live well and take care of myself. Um, and by, by that, I could make sure that everything was good for everybody else, or it was, you know, not. And then, you know, the ramifications of not taking care of yourself also, also have obviously, uh, you know, uh, other, um, you know, have tributaries into your, all of your relationships with everybody else. So if, if you're not good, nobody else is good, you know? And, you know, is it something that, is it possible to live a healthy lifestyle and be a chef, specifically like a restaurant chef? You know, I had Brandon Baltzley on uh, a couple of weeks ago and very similarly. And, you know, at the end of the day, he said, like, I had to leave the restaurant industry to get healthy. He had issues with um, drugs, alcohol, anxiety, all those things, overweight. And just like he felt like he could not continue to operate in a restaurant and live the healthy lifestyle he needed. And this is something that I keep hearing over and over from so many people. I don't know if we'll collectively get there, but, you know, I hope so because I love the restaurant industry. Um, but you know, a lot needs to change. Yeah. And I mean, it's been broken for so long, but you know, we've all just kind of put our heads down and, you know, kept going. Um, it's changing though, right? Like this is definitely, I think COVID has exposed so many things in our industry from, you know, the quality of life issues and the mental health issues to obviously, um, you know, issues of equality in the workplace, right? Um, all of these things that were there and were simmering and bubbling away, um, no pun intended, and then COVID came along, right? And kind of pulled the lid off of those things. Um, and so now we're really kind of forced to take a step back, especially in these moments where, you know, there are restaurants that are shut down, right? And um, they can't afford to operate or, you know, they spend all this money and infrastructure and getting set up to be, you know, protecting their staff and their guests. And then they have a guest or they have a, a staff member that contracts COVID and they have to shut down again, you know? And this like cycle, it's like, it almost forces you as an operator and owner to kind of step back and think about, you know, wait a minute, how am I going to do this now going forward in a way that's like responsible and equitable and, um, you know, that, that makes sense for not just my customers, but the people that work within my four walls. So in some ways it, it, it's an opportunity, right? I, I think there's a lot of opportunity that's come out of this moment um, for us to kind of look inside and, and really kind of figure out how we're going to fix this thing. But you know, there are, there are alternatives. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm excited for what I'm doing now is being, I think the prime example of, 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 you know, how we can still be in food and be creative and drive teams and, 
you know, um, work for really cool organizations and make great food, but have a quality of life. So um, I'm excited to, you know, continue down the path of, of some of these new, new endeavors. So what are some of those new endeavors? Um, so I started my, um, my consulting agency back in Boston um, prior to Townsman's um, close uh, and sale. And uh, I had been doing some consulting in the Boston area for different um, groups and it was going well. So I kind of used that as a way to segue into, you know, a full-time gig that didn't require me to be in a restaurant per se um, every day. And that also allowed us to make this move um, to Vermont because I could be essentially working, working remotely, working anywhere. Um, my clients are all over the country and I have a wonderful partner who's on the West Coast, Jason Rose, who's also a chef. He's based in San Francisco. Um, he should be on your list to talk to as well, um, by the way. But uh, Jason, you know, kind of covered the West Coast. I was covering the East Coast. We were kind of collaborating on all things in between. Um, and that was going great. And then, you know, I had a local opportunity here in Vermont. I was doing some consulting for a local um, family-owned um, natural foods and organic uh, grocer here in the Burlington area that has stores in New York as well. And, uh, you know, they just kind of started talking about like, what would it be, what would it look like to kind of keep some of this culinary IP in house now that you're developing it for us. And, you know, so I said, Oh, I could give you 10 hours a week. And so then it was 10 hours a week and then it was 20. And then they're kind of like, well, what about a full-time thing? And I'm like, well, you know, it's possible. And I got to talk to Jason and, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of been coming for a long time, but uh, I've now been on board with healthy living for two months as their VP of culinary um, and it's exciting. Like I've been brought in to basically reset all of their house-made food from, from their cafes to prepared foods to, you know, home meal replacement uh, project to, you know, um, assemble to order uh, lines and, you know, eventually catering and in-home and a la carte, right? Like down the road. So um, it's an awesome company. They've been around since 1986. Uh, super great ownership and very involved and um, and, uh, you know, in the day to day and, uh, it's just, it's thrilling. And now I'm actually, you know, recruiting, right. For these various chef positions within healthy living. And I just, uh, literally hired three of my chefs from Townsman to move up here. Uh, and I'm now deploying them into different locations for healthy living to run the, the food service within each store. So it's pretty, it's pretty exceptional, like set of circumstances, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. I love seeing chefs doing innovative things in the food industry that don't necessarily relate to working in a restaurant. But I think that gets to be so hard for so many people because I think your, your identity is tied up in being a chef and what the idea of a chef is. And not just our industry, but when you meet anyone, like one of the first questions is like, what do you do? And you tell them you're a chef and they want to hear this story of like, where you work and where you cook. And I think so many of us like get this feeling like, oh, I'm not a real chef. Like I don't work in a restaurant. I'm not an executive chef. I'm not winning any awards. And I think that psychs so many people out and they just can't leave because they feel like if they leave that thing that they're I don't know, not a real chef or they're a quitter or something. Like, did you have that feeling when you left or did you just know that like you were comfortable with yourself and you had to do what you had to do? Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? And it's like, I think it's it's kind of, you have to disassemble your ego, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, what are you really, what are you really working for, right? You kind of have to ask yourself. And, and I think, and I just had this conversation with somebody else the other day, but 
you know, unfortunately our industry has been built on these like, you know, top 20 lists and the awards and the accolades and who's going to get the cover of the next food and wine and who's going to get this and who's going to get the feature article and who's going to get the TV show. And, you know, I think while there's value in some of that stuff, it definitely, it definitely, um, you know, warps kind of the perspective of, of perhaps what you, what your real goals should be. Right. And for me, I mean, like that was the case. And, and I think, and I think it also really, it was a culmination of like the realization of that at the same time as like, it was like all these colliding factors. It was that, and then it was like my family, right? And my family certainly being very vocal about like, wait a minute, this is actually like not cool that you're working 80 hours a week because when you do wake up in the morning and you're on kid duty, like you're a piece of shit and you know, that's not fun for anyone. Um, you know, and so there was that. And then there was just the day-to-day -day challenges with the restaurant. So like, I had to kind of take myself out of it and, and selflessly, you know, say, you know, if I'm going to, I don't have any problem working hard. I never have. I love working. I absolutely adore it. Like I, my work is so important to me and teaching my kids to have a strong work, work ethic is incredibly important to me, but like at what cost, right? And like, what are you striving and working for? And so you know, my, my perspective is just simply that, like, I'm here to work for them and I'm here to work to better, you know, our life and um, to, to also, I think, be a part of community, right? To like find a way to have value to my community. Um, that's important. That doesn't go away. And that's a huge part of being a chef. So I feel like I still have those connections um, and I'm still cooking for people. So yeah, I mean, I totally hear that. And, and I think there was a part of me that definitely felt some sadness, I guess. And like, like stepping out of the restaurant world because it is kind of a fraternity in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what, looking on this side at restaurants as of September, 2020, uh, I'm not jealous of much, you know, I mean, I miss certain things about it, right? Like I miss the fast pace, like, you know, fun circus type environment and, you know, the, the burns and the, you know, <laughs> the, the camaraderie uh, on the line and, you know, the madness and flurry of tickets coming out of a printer. I do, I mean, there are days certainly where I miss that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, the overarching um, view is, is, is sadly very dim right now of the restaurant landscape. How much did things change when you moved from Providence to Boston? I mean, I never got to go up to Townsman, but, you know, Farmstead felt like you know, it was a smaller place. It felt like a great neighborhood restaurant. I'm guessing you weren't doing nearly the covers there that you ended up doing in Boston. Like, did a lot change from the amount you were working, the stress, all that stuff when you moved or not? Or did it kind of stay the same? Yeah, no, it was definitely, you know, I think a lot of people looked at it as like, you know, again, kind of the pursuit of more notoriety, which is not what it was for me. It was kind of, you know, Boston is my home. I'm from there. Um, I wanted to move back there. I wanted to raise my kids there. It was important to me to like, you know, take them to Celtics games and like, you know, be able to hang out, you know, uh, in the public garden and do all those, you know, great things I did growing up. Uh, but, um, you know, it was also, you know, I, I'd be lying if I were to tell you that we weren't trying to leverage, right, like the reputation. Like, I think we had a great reputation in Providence. Um, we, we had a very devout following. 
Um, and you know, when you have people that come in your restaurant when you're a 34 seat bistro and say, Hey, I've got this big, fancy, shiny 24 story building in downtown crossing, uh, you know, in the middle of Boston, would you like to come open a restaurant there? It's kind of hard to say no, you know, um, that makes you feel pretty good. Um, and again, I think that's like the ego thing, right? So, um, you know, I, I definitely, while I was in complete control of that journey and I don't deny any responsibility, um, you know, that ship was pulling out of the station and it was hard not to jump on board. You know what I mean? So it seems like you're happy doing what you're doing now with the consulting and all those things like that. But uh, any thoughts about future endeavors of restaurant or some such thing? Yeah, so I drive my wife crazy because, I mean, you know how it is. It gets in your blood. You can't get it out. Um, you know, I am definitely going to do something. I don't know what it is. Like, I knew that I wasn't going to open a restaurant, quote unquote, restaurant in Vermont, right? Like, I think those days of like finding a space to lease, you know, uh, negotiating that sort of a deal um, and putting a huge investment into a space that I don't own, you know, all of that, that sort of stuff is behind me. Um, but, you know, we bought this amazing little property here in Vermont that had been kind of abandoned for a few years that needs a ton of love. Um, but the reason we bought it is because it has this amazing barn. Um, and the woman that owned it before us was a cake decorator. So she built a commercial kitchen in the barn. Um, and so I saw that and I said, well, there it is. Like it's here, it's on our property, it's containable, it's controllable. I can turn it on when I want, turn it off when I want. Um, and I can still be in food. And so, uh, so we're working on, on a launch probably um, May, June next year of uh, Red Barn Kitchen, which will basically just be myself, my wife, who's a pastry chef, um, and uh, the, just the two of us kind of in there. And hopefully we'll see what COVID will allow, but the goal is certainly some catering, some meal delivery, some kind of chef CSA subscription type, you know, deliveries, um, and then about 20 seats in the barn. So that's, uh, that's the goal. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen between now and then. So, <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. I saw it pop up on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. I was like, what's this? And then it's, you know, pictures of this beautiful space. You even have some of the kids out there and the animals and stuff. And it seems like just such a chill, slowed down lifestyle from like what I'm doing right now and what I'm used to. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. It's a luxury to be able to write, like make that sort of a decision about your life. Um, but uh you know, we, I think it's part of that prioritization process for us. It's like this way we can, we can still be in food. We can kind of be open a few days a week if we want, and we can get the kids involved. And, you know, um, I mean, my goal long-term is that they're, you know, they're helping run it and they're seeing what it takes to kind of, uh, you know, bring a vision to life, right? Like that's important to, that they understand the work that it takes to, to put into something that you love. Um, but it's also feels a little bit more safe that way, you know? Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'm actually like literally my, I'm, I'm talking right now with drawings for uh, the architect's uh, rendering spread out all over the dining room table. So uh, it's starting to get real and uh, it's going to be an interesting juggle because I've also got, you know, my full-time gig with Healthy Living and 
full heart and uh, now this. So uh, no, no, uh, no downtime. <laughs> so are you going in like cooking with healthy living? Like, do you have a test kitchen you're working out of? What's the kind of workflow for that look like? Yeah, so Healthy Living's got uh, two locations right now, one in South Burlington, one in Saratoga, New York. Um, the one in South Burlington is 34,000 square feet. The one in New York is about eight, uh, excuse me, is also 34. And now we're about to open two more stores that'll be about 18,000 uh, and then some more after that. Um, each of them have a cafe and a kitchen in them where they do the, all of their house-made food, which, uh, which I've now brought my guys up to help run. Um, and then Red Barn Kitchen will, the goal, long-term goal is that it will be the kind of R&D and demo kitchen for healthy living as well. So um, we'll be doing all of the R&D and recipe testing and, um, you know, fun collaborations there with local partners and, uh, you know, kind of having a, an off-site space where we can, you know, bring guests in and show them the connection between, you know, food and agriculture and, I mean, Vermont has so much to offer, you know, right? It's just like, it's so underrated and the food uh, community here and the food ecosystem is just, you know, uh, just as good, if not better than anywhere else I've, I've lived. So uh, I'm excited to, to tap into it. I don't know that I've ever eaten in Vermont, like in a, you know, like a regular restaurant. I used to go camping there a lot when I was in Boy Scouts, but I think I need to take a trip up there and my wife's never been. So we've talked about going up to New England and hitting all those places. My family's never been. So I think once uh, this COVID thing chills out, we're going to take an epic road trip, hopefully next year sometime. There we go. Next summer. It's a no, no better time in Vermont than, uh, you know, August, September, October. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So you're doing a lot of consulting for restaurant. Like, are you talking to restaurateurs right now, giving them thoughts and ideas specifically around COVID and like pivoting and, and what they should do. Is that something you've been working on? Yeah, Jason and I, uh, through Full Heart, have been doing quite a bit of uh, COVID work over this past, you know, seven months. Um, we've been, you know, writing playbooks, right, for people, operational playbooks, um, and trying to assist with, uh, with pivots and, um, you know, and, and trying to find new sources of revenue streams for people and uh, streamlining their operations and product sets and, um, you know, working with their teams to understand safety and new health regulations and the whole kit and caboodle. Um, you know, it's been, it's been interesting because there's really just no, there's no master plan for everybody, right? Like every, every situation and every operation is different. Um, so you really kind of have to be, you know, it's, it's very kind of custom, you know, work in that sense, uh, as far as understanding the operational log jams, right, for every, every different situation. Um, but it's been, it's been really awesome to be helpful, I feel, you know, I feel like we've been able to support people in a really, really hard time. Um, and there's a lot of operators out there that just don't know what to do, you know, it's, it's a scary time. And I think um, a lot of people get overwhelmed and, so, you know, an organization like Full Heart is able to come in and have, you know, some great traction um, to be able to help people navigate um, a lot of these challenges. So it's, uh, it's been rewarding. Yeah, and I'm seeing kind of the return of the comfort food and kind of like that idea of the family neighborhood restaurant, almost like, you know, the, the feeling every time I went into Farmstead, you know, it was like, you just felt like cozy there. Like the food was elevated and it was amazing, but just that like comfy cozy. And I think 
those are kind of the places, those are places I want to go to now. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what I'm seeing where I live is just these kind of places that are not super formal doing, you know, some interesting food, but comforting. I think those are the places that are going to do well, not necessarily these places that you have to get on a plane and fly to, to go have this like three-star experience. In fact, a lot of those places aren't even opening up from what I'm seeing. No, I think you're right. I think there's something about, you know, a pandemic, right? To like um, reset people and make them recognize, you know, how important it is to tap into the nostalgic and and they want that kind of familiar environment where they feel comfortable and, you know, maybe they know the owner by name or um, there's like some some heroes on the menu that they can depend on every time they go or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think it's definitely it's definitely a moment for the kind of mom and pops to shine those that can hang on, um, you know, and, and, and the value that, that those places bring to our communities is like unparalleled, right? Like the kind of street level, you know, retail that small independent owner operators bring to, you know, medium to large size, um, you know, cosmopolitan areas is like so underrated, right? Like I think as a collective, you know, consumer base, Americans are so used to, you know, the Dave and Busters and Applebee's and Dunkin' Donuts of the world, um, you know, and, and we do uh, forget about um, kind of the value that, uh, that a lot of these small places bring. Um, and now I think we're remembering pretty quickly that, uh, you know, how important and integral uh, independent restaurants are to, uh, to the community. So while we have the opportunity, uh, you know, Save Restaurants is a great place uh, to turn to and be able to support. So check, check, uh, check them out. Is it, is it saverestaurants.com or saverestaurants.org? I can't remember, but. I'll look that up. I know I've been there. I'll have to, um, I'll put it in the show notes once I double check on that. But, um, but definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. I think like, I was just talking with a couple of cooks about it yesterday. Like, watching all these different chefs throughout the uh, industry, um, you know, embrace the challenge, right? And like literally go so hard, like coming up with solutions for pickup and, you know, um, and and, uh, grab and go and how to order ahead on some sort of online platform, whether it's through their website or, you know, third party, whatever the case may be. Like people are, grinding right now to save themselves. And I think it's so important to remind, you know, the consumer to, to do what they can to support small restaurants right now. Yeah, I've seen some really innovative stuff come out of this. And I think hopefully things that will stick long after, you know, some of the challenges are related, I guess, to policies, you know, like we're seeing that a lot of government agencies need to make allowances and accommodations for some of these things. And I guess we'll see how they stick you know if they stick when this is all over but um hopefully they will yeah i mean i think you know with with the winter coming um you know i'm 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 getting nervous again right um i think we had this moment over the summer where there was a little bit of a little bit of a breath of relief that you know we could you know restaurants could open patios we could put outdoor dining out we could embrace the warm weather and utilize that to our advantage at least to make whatever revenue we could while you know quote unquote make hay while the sun shines right 
um, now that now that we're headed towards towards winter time again and in most areas of the country that means limited capacity for outdoor dining um, it means you know having to figure out what indoor dining looks like um, I mean I just read the other day that New York is I don't know if they passed or they're considering like no indoor dining until there's a vaccine like that's a death sentence you know that that is a total death sentence for restaurants so like now I'm starting to get a little nervous um, and I know that chefs and restaurateurs across the country are too. Um, so, you know, I think without some sort of legislative assistance um, on either, well, definitely state levels, but particularly the federal level, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people uh, that are in trouble. So I'm really hoping that something gets worked out on the Hill and that, uh, you know, we can see some sort of relief for hospitality. Absolutely. Um, a question about your cooking. How much has your, the way you cook changed over the past couple of years? Like, you know, are you cooking healthier? If you were cooking professionally or when you do, um, is it like a healthier type cooking? You know, I think of you as like great charcuterie boards and all these things. You've always done a great job with vegetables, but like how much has the way you cooked changed also kind of based on the way you have been eating? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think I think that the the real the only way it's really changed for me is like there's less of a focus on the kind of uh, you know the gluttony that the adventure of gluttony right that dining can be um, the kind of like bone marrow on everything and roasted whole lobes of foie gras and you know entrails and you know butter everywhere and uh rich demis and right like classical stuff like i still have a huge love for all those things but i would say that it's a little bit more nuanced now um you know i really do love to focus on bright clean flavors i love acid in dishes like um this time of year my goal is to like do as little as possible to the ingredients if the ingredients are of quality um you know, and just really let the kind of food speak for itself. Um, so, you know, I think, I think for me, like I definitely, uh, you know, there was a part of like the old me, if you will, um, that was like, how many, you know, uh, fried cutlets can we fit between two waffles to make a sandwich type situation. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think that way anymore, but really, you know, for me, I think moreover than that is, is just the way that I eat. So, um, I've really changed the way that I eat and I'm focusing on, I mean, there's the, the you know, admittedly the reality is that there's just, um, there's things that do well with my system and things that don't. And I've come to recognize over the years that, you know, dairy is hard for me. Gluten is hard for me. Um, and sugar is like, you know, my nemesis. Like I just, I have such a sweet tooth ever since I quit drinking. Um, I, I love sweet things. So I'm just doing my best to like, you know, stay focused and, and eat well. Um, I definitely don't succeed every day, but hopefully I make up for it with a run. So. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, so is there anything you want to share before we jump into like the last kind of quick fire questions? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think uh, this is, this is great. I, I think you're doing a, you're doing a great job. Thanks so much. Um, all right. So do you have a favorite dish or so from all your years of cooking? Is there something that you go back to, especially at home? Like what is something that's just comforting for you that you really enjoy cooking? And maybe you hate this question because I know a lot of chefs, it's not quite the what's your signature dish, but kind of. 
No, no, I think, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, we're, we're a big pasta family. Um, you know, we find a lot of comfort in, in pastas. Um, you know, we don't make pasta at home all the time, right? I'm not going to lie to you. It's not like where it's like Nana's kitchen over here. But, um, but I love like kind of really warming like pasta dishes, you know, baked shells and like, you know, beautiful sauteed, um, you know, pastas with, you know, chopped up vegetables in it and some meats and stuff like that. Pretty simple. Um, you know, I, uh, I do really love, uh, slow cooking. So, uh, this time of year, as we start moving into colder weather, like anything that's braised and, you know, that falls apart and, you know, is cooked on the bone. Like I, I love that stuff. I have a, I have a real soft spot for, for braises. Um, and, and, you know, I think that kind of like hearty, Find a kind of fun fall cold weather like stick to your ribs um, type of type of food is like where my heart will always be at you know um, beans a lot of beans in the in the winter and you know braised greens and uh, and that sort of stuff I I definitely am like a flavor forward guy like I I, I try not to um, hold back I feel like for me like food should be memorable and 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 flavorful and so I try to try to layer in as much as I can, you know, when we do beans and braised greens and all those sorts of things, like what we're, you know, building braising pastes and adding pastes to, you know, um, the pot and, uh, you know, always like saving liquors and, you know, just, just really trying to constantly like figure out how we fortify as much flavor as possible. I love those moxie beans from the cookbook. <laughs> yeah. The moxie beans are fun. I still make them. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're addictive for sure. I like, I like making them. We've last winter, we actually made a bunch and then canned them, you know, put them in jars. Um, and they, it was so awesome to have beans on hand, you know, moxie beans pre-made on hand. <laughs> I think I first had them, like you did the Koshan Epic in Philly or something. And I think you made those there and I tried those. That was probably like 10 years ago or something crazy. But it was, yeah. it was so hard for me to make because like, I'm a New Englander, I have my own recipe, right? And you know, like, it's this family recipe and I had never made beans that were like not my great, great grandmother's beans, but I wanted to make them. So I'm like, I'm gonna try them. I'm not gonna tinker with this recipe. I trust him. But like, that was one of those things that was so hard for me to do is like make a different beans recipe. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, sacrilege, right? You feel like you're, you're doing your ancestors an injustice. <laughs> yeah, and just, just this week I made the lamb meatballs from the cookbook, which I think is maybe the thing I've made the most. I mean, they're so easy, but with the harissa in there and the the yogurt sauce, like I think that's a great dish. And if people love lamb, it's one of my favorites. And you know, you can bang that recipe out in like 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of really good, simple, quick, like flavor forward dishes in, in homegrown. And like I, I just I love this time. Like this time of year to be a chef in New England is like the greatest time. Like better, better than summer, like just you know, what I call the shoulder season is we start to get into the time of year that like, we're still getting tomatoes, you know, we're still getting peppers, but we're starting to get squash and pumpkin and, you know, Brussels sprouts and like some of these other kind of cooler weather items. Like that's when like the bounty is just so prolific in New England and being able to like pull on all of those things simultaneously is like such a gift, you know, as a cook. Yeah, I know. I have both watermelon and squash growing in my garden right now. And it's like kind of <laughs> conflicting. It's like this watermelon. I haven't had any watermelon this year. It's huge. It's a Bradford heirloom watermelon. And I haven't, it's not ready yet, but it's like, I've got that. And then I've got these squash. It's like, I'm going to go from one right into the other. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's uh, that's that's the best uh, the best case scenario, I think, for uh, for for a chef in, in a cold weather climate. Do you have any resources you'd like to share for anything, whether it be to get through COVID, to to get healthier? Uh, is there a favorite cookbook, a website? Like, what are some of your things that you just love and think everyone should know about, or you'd want to share with someone? That's a great question. I mean, I'm still, I still have a cookbook problem. Um, you know, chef, chef habits die hard. Uh, I guess the worst habit that I still suffer from is, is a cookbook addiction. Um, you know, I would just encourage people to seek out like their favorite local booksellers, you know, like, like try to find that bookseller that focuses on culinary if there's one near you and just like dive in, you know, um, I feel like it's such it's it's money that's so well spent in these times that like most of us have you know less resources than normal. Um, cookbooks still do do that thing for me. They still scratch that itch. Like I, you know, I get a new cookbook and I just get like a kid on Christmas Day and I get so excited and I flip through it and I think about how I will adapt recipes and you know view things differently, but still use some of those concepts and like. You know, Celia at um, Omnivore is like uh, a huge, um, like I'm a huge fan of hers and, and she and I talk all the time. And, um, you know, I think like finding somebody like that that you connect with um, when it comes to, you know, cookbooks and, and the culinary world is like, it's a great, it's a great resource, you know. It's cookbook season already. I've seen a couple start to come out the past week or so. And I love this time of year, but there's way too many. I feel like I pick up like 20 cookbooks from September to November, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Someone, I was talking to one of my friends and told him I had this thing coming up. And I, I said, do you have any questions? And he said, ask him what his first tattoo was. Do you have, do you remember what your first ah. tattoo was? Yeah, my first tattoo is actually, um, I got when I was, how old was I, 18 maybe? Um, I was a freshman in college, I think. Um, it was before I went to culinary school. I was uh, at Hampshire College in Western Mass. And uh, my buddy at school, his brother went to Bard in New York and was an Asian studies major and had learned how to how to grind his own ink and and like build his own tattoo needles uh, in like a classic Tibetan, you know, uh, way. And so uh, I, I opted to be uh, one of his first canvases and uh, probably probably foolishly so. But he uh, he did one of those kind of um, hand poke uh, tattoos on my ankle. And uh, that was my first tattoo ever. And I think uh, yeah, I got bit by that bug in that moment. And there's such like a memory of place, you know, when that all went down and I was like in New Jersey on spring break with my buddy and his brother and like, you know, in the attic of their house and like uh, Tom Waits was on the stereo and we were on mushrooms and like the whole thing. Right. But like, I just got bitten by the bug and like, I, you know, I never, never looked back. I, I still have some room left, but uh, you know, approaching mid forties, the skin isn't quite what it used to be. <laughs> 
heard for sure. I didn't even start until I was 30 and I felt like I went on a tear from like 30 to 40 and it's like, okay, I've done, I played catch up really quickly. Like I didn't even plan. I went to a tattoo convention because a friend convinced me and I went there with no plan at all. And after walking around for like eight hours, I was just talking to this guy. He's like, are you going to get any work done? I'm like, I don't know. Here's some ideas. And he just sketched something up and like, that was it. And like you said, like you get that and you're like, oh wow. Like when is it too early to get another one? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think my days of like investing in my tattoos, like I used to is over now. It's kind of more like, you know, I, I actually just was talking with my wife the other day because we've been here, we've been in Vermont now a year and I'm like, Oh, it's been a year. Like, I think the last tattoo I got was before we moved. So I was like, Oh, it's been a year since I've been tattooed. And she's like, don't even think of it. She's like, what, you know, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I just feel like it's, you know, it's been too long, but well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could catch up. No, it's been great, man. And I've always been a big fan of yours and, uh, and excited to, uh, you know, continue to listen to the podcast and watch all the things that you do. And you're such a, such an incredible supporter of the industry. And, uh, you know, thank you for that. It's, it's very refreshing to have those voices uh, out there advocating for, you know, um, the community. And uh, I, it's just, it's been awesome to watch your trajectory. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So to all of our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.